Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future Technologies, poised to transform our lives for better or worse, are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Altcoin Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16th, 17th, and 18th, 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Altcoin Super Conference. Just go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today to qualify for super early bird rates, the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. Uh, my guest today is Alex Gordon Brander. Uh, he's the CTO of Omega One, which is a uh, decentralized crypto trading platform. And they're a uh, consensus uh, incubated company. Alex, how are you doing? Hey, good afternoon. Good to hear from you. Yeah, thanks for coming. So um, we're going to get into some real interesting stuff, uh, re- the recent Ethereum flash crash on GDAX. But before we do that, can you let listeners know about Omega One, you know, what it does and what's the uh, intention behind it and how it works? Sure. Um, so a little background first. Um I come from traditional FX markets. Um, I spent five years before I got into crypto um, building from ground up the um, FX trading platform at Bridgewater Associates, the world's largest hedge fund. And um, the rest of my team also have a a background in, in trading outside of crypto. And we look at what's happening in the crypto markets at the moment as kind of a there's a uh, massively fast evolution of a market that didn't exist a few years ago. And that, but that evolution is following some of the same kind of um, stages that um, the evolution of the equity markets and FX markets and, and other more mature markets have followed. And um, so, um, you know, at Omega One, um, we are uh, coming in at, I think, uh, sort of pretty pivotal um, point in the, the growth and maturation of the crypto markets. I don't know if your listeners know this, but um, as recently as the turn of the year, there were about $200 million a day being traded in crypto, and now it regularly wow. hits $5 billion a day. So we've wow. seen a 25x increase in the amount of volume traded in the crypto markets. But obviously, um, in those same few months, technology infrastructure hasn't become 25 times more solid. Um, so the space is kind of creaking under the, the weight of traffic. And um, there are a number of, uh, a number of interesting initiatives uh, coming into the space to try to uh, handle these um, growing liquidity problems. And um, Omega One is one of those. Yeah. So speaking of, um, you know, growing pains, let's talk about the um, the flash crash that happened with Ethereum on GDAX. 
you know, I yeah, know so you've this, written a couple articles on it. You know, what happened? What really happened there? So this is a pretty good, pretty good example of of what's going on, and not a not a surprising thing at all. So, just for a little bit of context here, I want to um, introduce the notion of liquidity and the liquidity cost of trading to your listeners. So, if I'm trying to move um, a million bucks from one asset to another, if it's a what we call a very liquid market. I can move a million bucks from one place to another, and it will have really no impact on the market. The market will be able to absorb my transaction really easily. So if I'm trying to move, say, a million bucks from dollars into euros, at most, the price is likely to move by about 0.01%. So my million-dollar trade might cost me you know, an extra $100 dollars because the euros I'm buying are a little bit more expensive than they would have been if I wasn't trying to trade. In crypto, the situation is way different. Even, in, um, even if I'm trying to trade between Bitcoin and Ether, a million-dollar trade um, on the most liquid exchange, Polo, on Poloniex, is going to move the price, depending on the day and the market conditions, by anything from a couple percent up to kind of 7%, 8%. So that $1 million trade, if I'm trying to, if I go in and I try to, I see the, the price of Ether at a certain point and I try to buy it, um, because the market is less liquid, and I'll explain what that means in a sec, um, instead of moving the price like 0.01%, I will actually end up moving the price so far that the, the, the um, Ether that I buy is 5% more expensive than it was when I put the trade on, which is going to end up costing me something like $50,000 in addition to you know the few hundred dollars I pay the exchange. And it's actually that $50,000 is way more meaningful for me if I'm trading in size than whatever the actual exchange fee for doing the trade is, which on a million-dollar trade is somewhere more in the order of um, a couple thousand dollars. Does that make sense? Okay. So with, with so, that as a backdrop, then what happened on GDAX was um, we don't know exactly who it was, but somebody put a very large sell order to Ether onto um, the GDAX exchange. There are some theories it may have been money that was recycled out of one of the, um, one of the ICOs that, that happened recently. Hmm. When that order was put on, on, on GDAX, if you think about it, so the price at the time was about $317, if I, if I remember correctly. But to say the price was $317 means if I was trying to sell one Ether, I could have got a $317 price for it. But if I'm trying to sell 1,000 Ether, maybe the people who want to pay $317 have already been filled, and I need to get to the people who are willing to pay um, you know, only willing to pay 316. And then I need to get the people who are only willing to pay 315. So this order that went on was so large, it cleared everybody off the order book down to the person who was willing to pay $248. Mm. So when that happened, in sort of pretty much instantaneously, all of the buyers were taken off the exchange down to $248. Then the exchange... Reset basically now believed that the price was $248. What that meant was there were a lot of people who had what are called stop loss orders on. Um, essentially, hey, 
if Ether really, really crashes, sell my Ether. Well, you know, that was meant to be a protection in case of a, you know, a real disaster in Ether. But instead, just this sort of technical moment triggered all of those um, stop loss orders. And so all those people started to sell. Secondly, there are people who are trading on margin. That means that they borrowed money to trade. Um, and um, when they, they hit a maximum loss on their positions, um, GDAX basically forced them to close those positions and sell their ether. And so what happened was this original sell order that took the price down by about 25 or 30% then triggered a cascade of other orders that started pulling the price down further, further triggering other orders until pretty much every buy order was um, cleared off the book as everybody was selling until some you know, incredibly lucky individual managed to sit down there who had put in an order for 10 cents, managed to end up buying, um, as far as we know, a million dollars of ether for, for um, a few hundred dollars. And then, hmm. you know, a moment later, everybody else's algorithms caught up with it and boom, and the price was back up. Actually, I think they closed the exchange at that point. But as soon as it reopened, the price returned to normal. So there was this kind of like cascade within one second that was caused by an order that was larger than the market's ability to, to trade that ended up basically wiping 99.99% off the value of Ether for anybody who was trading on that exchange. Well, how low did the price actually go and how long, what was the duration of the, of the crash in time? Well, the entire crash, um, the price, the entire crash took less than a second pushed the price down from $317 down to $0.10. Cents. And then, How did it go down uh, so far? Was the, was the order book that low? Or I thought you said the well, order book was only like to, you know, a certain percentage of that. Well, no, that's the thing. Like the, the original trade cleared the order book down to $250. But then the impact of that original trade caused more and more and more selling. And the more selling cleared more and more buys off the order book until in the end, people were essentially forced to sell their ether. I mean, I think rather than saying the price was, there was somebody who was forced to sell ether um, to someone else for 10 cents. You've got to imagine hmm. that, you know, got to imagine that that felt better for one side of the transaction than the other. Okay. Interesting. So simply with a large sell order and, that cleared the whole order book, and then from there, that's what crashed it. And then do you, do you think that it stopped at that point uh, because the exchange closed down trading in Ether or was well, it there were market forces no, that made it grind? No, I mean, once it crashed all the way down to there, there were literally no more orders left on the other side of the book. And again, that's the point at which the exchange saw. And, you know, I, I you know, I've got to feel, you've got to feel awful for the guys at GDAX who are sitting there and suddenly in under a second, there's that situation. So they then shut down trading, which was the right thing to do. They reopened, things returned, say prices returned to normal. They refunded people the fees, which I just want to, I want to say also was a, a good and high integrity thing to do. Um, but obviously, um, they didn't um, wind back the, the transactions that had taken place. Right. Well, yeah, later they said that they would make, make good on the losses that people suffered as yeah. a result of the flash crash. Yeah. 
Um, you know, um, when they talked about making people whole, what does that mean? Um, you know, if you wanted to buy, obviously you intended to buy at a certain price and I guess you got it. But if you, um, if you were holding and you had an automated sell order of the price dipped below X, I guess it was only those people that were made whole. And what, to what price do you think they were made whole? So that's a good question. I don't actually know the details of that. I think there were, there are really two, um, two, um, two main kind of things to look at there. Um, on the one hand, um, the, there were people who were, um, ended up paying massive fees to Coinbase um, during the crash. So that was Coinbase making revenues out of the crash because, um, you know, people's positions were being closed um, because of trading fees, et cetera. Um, I know for sure that Coinbase refunded all of that, those revenues. Um, I don't know that Coinbase made everybody whole on the losses that they made on the book. That may be correct. Um, it's just not something that, um, that I can comment on. All right, that's fine. How about, uh, you know, since you're, you're running or the CTO for Omega One, how could this be prevented from happening in the future? How, how can you have more stable exchanges with better liquidity? And how can you make these markets more like the FX markets that you were in once? Perfect. And sorry, yeah, I just clarifying. Okay, they did. They've actually said that they will um, absorb all of the investor losses. So that means they basically honor all of the people who bought at 10 cents kind of pay back the people who sold at 10 cents. So um, hmm. I think that's, I think that's a really great move for the, for the market. Um, so how would Omega want to change things? So the primary issue with this is that you had this um, very large order that hit the exchange all at once in traditional markets. There are intermediaries who would sit um, on the other side of that order and um, do one of two things. They would either take that order, break it into a lot of pieces, and then slowly, you know, or put those pieces into the market over time in such a way that the market was able to absorb the trade. Um, okay. Or they, or essentially, they would do that um, either as a, either as a principal or as an agent. So they would either just buy the, um, you know, buy the ether directly from the person who's trying to sell it and then sort of sell it off themselves slowly or they'd sell it for the, um, for the trader. Um, and it's um, intermediaries like that that um, essentially, um, let's say, uh, buffer um, the flow of capital um, through markets and um, enable... Um, you know, uh, smooth out, smooth out liquidity. Now in the FX markets, you know, a, a few million dollars like this um, ether trade was, wouldn't even necessarily need that treatment. But, you know, in the, the, con you know, the, the hedge fund context and, you know, some of the, the larger um, players in the FX market move around billions of dollars a day. And um, for right. those players, obviously some kind of, some kind of intermediation is required. Um, so what we've done with Omega One is taken that basic concept from the traditional FX markets, um, and there's a there's a definite need for that kind of service in the crypto markets. And so we've taken that concept 
And we're building that service in the crypto markets, but we're building it uh, rather than doing it in a sort of old-fashioned corporate brokerage structure coming into the, the crypto space. Um, we're actually building it as a decentralized execution platform that's mediated by a token. Okay. Um, a couple other questions about, about structuring. Uh, what about a cap for orders of a, above a certain size or a gating of the order? Or if it's going to be above a certain size, you, you, you know, it, it may be because of market manipulation. So the order gets delayed or chopped into pieces, like you said, and filled at various times. Um, any other mechanisms to help make sure a crash like this doesn't happen again? Well, I mean, you know, I, it's hard to, like, I don't want to, I don't want to suggest that exchanges should put um, limits on orders or caps on orders. I, like there's a, I think if the exchanges did the thing that you're saying, um, that would prevent this problem. But I also feel like that's not really their business. Um, and it's much more the case that the, the space needs intermediaries who will uh, perform that kind of service for, for clients. I think the reason why it would be tricky for an exchange to do that kind of thing directly um, is, yeah, let's just say, the, you, you get into a lot of sort of interesting principal agent issues when you're in a situation okay. like that. So it is better to have an intermediary do it. Um, gotcha. I, let, let me, though, talk a little bit more about um, how we're doing what we're doing, because I, I do think it's kind of interesting. Um, the, the other main issue that people have when they're trading on exchanges is, um, obviously, exchanges don't actually live on the blockchain. There are um, some proposals out there for decentralized exchanges or on-chain exchanges, by and large, I think those are a bad idea because they can uh, easily get front run by miners and the, uh, the economics of those don't work. So we're in a situation where, at least for now, uh, all the liquidity that exists in crypto markets exists in exchanges that, uh, you know, commingle everybody's money. Uh, and so, uh, you know, to, to be clear about this, if you have okay. an account on an exchange and you have some Bitcoin and some Ether sitting on that exchange, your Ether, the exchange knows what's your Ether and what's somebody else's Ether, but the blockchain doesn't. The blockchain just knows that the exchange owns all the Ether. And that leaves the exchanges open to um, various threats, including hacking, as we saw, obviously, famously with Mt. Gox, more recently with Bitfinex and uh, very recently with one of the Korean exchanges. And so there's a, uh, the whole point of uh, blockchain money is that it's meant to be uh, trustless and decentralized. And yet in order to actually move it around, you need to put it in this um, custodial context. And so this is a problem. Um, and th it's this problem as well as the liquidity problem that we're solving with Omega-1. So on Omega-1, if this person who wanted to sell, um, I think somewhere in the order of, um, I'm not sure, like, I've heard as much as 20 or $30 million worth of, of Ether, um, so like 100,000 Ether, although again, the, yeah. the, the data seems to be not clear on that. Um, if this person wanted to do that sell with us, what would have happened is 
they'd have um, put the order in with us. It would have locked up their ether. And so they weren't able to then move it around and, you know, and, and, and spend it. But the ether would have remained um, in their possession on the blockchain. We would have taken that order and we'd have gone over probably for an order like that over the space of a few hours and done, you know, a thousand bucks here, 10,000 bucks here on each of the different exchanges, um, selling Ether and buying Bitcoin at a pace that the market could um, handle without moving the price. And we would slowly amass that position. And then when we had the, um, you know, when we had sold 100 million or whatever, sorry, 100,000 Ether ourselves, we would simply have swapped that Ether with Bitcoin for the client. Um, they would have had the Bitcoin show up in their Bitcoin wallet. The Ether would have disappeared from their, from their um, Ether wallet simultaneously. And um, from their perspective, they've had a clean and trustless transaction and they've traded basically at the market price without moving the market and without anybody necessarily knowing that they did their trade at all. Okay. What, what other elements of the Omega One platform are new, innovative, useful, going to make things you know, a lot easier for people to, to use and trade? You know, tell me about some of the features of it that you're excited about. Well, I think one of the biggest challenges um, that we've been addressing on the, the design and technical build side um, but also one of the most exciting things that's going to come out of this is that um, the Omega One platform and the Omega One wallets are not just going to be Ethereum wallets holding ERC-20 tokens. Um, we're going to be hooked into um, ETH, uh, the Ethereum blockchain, the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, we'll be supporting Tethers and over time going to be um, building into all of the major blockchains. And so there will be a uh, single place attached to all of the chains where people are able to move funds um, cheaply and easily from one blockchain to another. And there are, you know, there are a, a ton of um, solutions that are out there to solve little pieces of those problems. Um, and we're going to be interfacing with those, but nobody's really solved that problem in a, in a good way before. So tying that together with um, a way to most cheaply get liquidity from the markets, I think, is, is a pretty interesting thing. And then the second thing that is interesting about what we're doing is the um, token uh, aspect of things. So um, in a situation where, you know, there's only one person who wants to buy Ether today on our platform, um, you know, we can serve that Ether up very easily. But in a situation where everybody is trying to buy Ether all at once, and we're frantically buying Ether from all the exchanges, but we are um, only able to buy Ether at a certain pace um, on the exchanges, then obviously, um, you know, some people, you know, there, there will be a, everyone will want to be the people who get filled first. Because in that situation, the market's probably moving against everybody. And so um, in those situations, people who have more tokens are going to get preferential access to the liquidity that we provide. And um, there are trading platforms that exist in the, the real world that have some sort of bronze, silver, gold kind of membership levels. 
but nobody's actually right. ever um, experimented with a um, much more granular and finely tuned um, control structure where people can um, really set the level of access that, um, that they want to have to the service in, in a fine-grained way like this. Um, hmm. Interesting. Okay. Are you going to do some... any other um, incentives or rewards for number of trades or amount held on the exchange or um, certain kinds of trading behavior that would be beneficial, you think, to trading in general or to you? So, so that's, that's a great question. Um, we have not worked out the details of that. But we definitely want to create uh, reward structures uh, like that um, for, you know, in any kind of trading environment, there are, uh, let's say that there are people who are, whose trading activity is beneficial to the community as a whole. And then there are other people who are kind of more seeking to profit off the activity of the community. And um, determining um, from, um, you know, observable transaction behavior, who are the people whose um, interactions with the platform are most helpful to um, the overall quality of liquidity on the platform and rewarding those people with tokens is another thing that's going to differentiate us. I think there's something else actually that is also interesting about um, the token mechanics and what it is to create a token-funded brokerage platform rather than an equity-funded brokerage platform. Um, if we had gone a more traditional way, or let's say, you know, we were Goldman Sachs who wanted to um, come in and provide this service in crypto like they do in other markets, um, mm. the way that we would price the service is essentially price the service to make the highest amount of overall fees in order to return the most profit to our shareholders. That's just the way that the, you know, the corporate structures work. What we've done instead by um, pre-selling access to the service through selling tokens is that um, this enables us to keep the fees pretty much down at uh, cost price to ensure that all of the benefit of the service goes to the token holders because uh, we can make, um, you know, pay for the cost of the platform through selling the tokens. And um, this is something that this basically will create a different kind of uh, equilibrium in terms of um, the, you know, keeping fees low and being able to bring more and more people onto the platform and um, building network effects uh, around liquidity on the platform in a way that a traditional equity kind of structure wouldn't, wouldn't support. Why do you guys have your own token? What's, what's the functionality of that and the purpose? So um, the functionality of the token is basically um, it is a way of parceling up the value that's provided, created by the platform. The thing is that a, a um, liquidity service, there is only ever so much liquidity that the service can um, provide at any given point to any to a certain kind of quality. Um, so there is a, we have a scarce resource. If you, you know, if somebody wanted to buy a trillion dollars worth of ether on our platform today, they couldn't do that because there isn't a marketplace for us, not that there's even a trillion dollars of ether, but you know what I mean? The, the, um, the, 
the service that we provide is a scarce service. And so um, the what we've done is essentially use the um, scarce service as a backing for the value of the token and then um, created um, what we think are a, um, a pretty interesting and kind of well-optimized set of rules around how that service gets passed up among token holders that um, overall um, make the whole greater than the sum of the parts compared to if we were just using a more traditional fee model. Okay. Are the tokens going to be tradable on the Omega One platform or on other exchanges? What what will be the role of them? So um, the tokens are going to be um, traded just like any other token on uh, you know across exchanges, um, and then people will also, like any other token, be able to trade it through the Omega One platform. Um, and the the role of the tokens, um, you're going to need a certain number of tokens in order to be a member on the platform to start trading. If you have um, a higher token balance, that's going to give you um, reduced fees. Um, if you and I are both trading at once and you have more tokens than me, then um, your orders are going to get filled slightly more quickly than my orders. Um, and then you're going to be able to um, use extra tokens in order to um, kind of promote individual trades up the queue. So pretty much the entire um, operation of the platform is mediated by the token. Okay. So, all right, just a couple more questions. What's what's your roadmap for the next uh, six months and the next year or so? What what plans do you have for Omega One? Where are you going to take it? So um, the first big thing on the on the roadmap is going to be our token launch, and um, we haven't fixed the date for that, but that will most likely be in August or September of this year. Um, that's going to get us the funds that we need to um, complete the platform build. And um, we expect to have a first uh, version of the platform live uh, around the end of this year. Um, I should say as well, I, I can't yet name names. Uh, we should be able to make an announcement in the next couple of weeks. But um, the technology that we're using to build out our trading platform is some of the most cutting-edge technology from the real FX markets and um, our technology partner there um, is pr provides the um, FX trading platform for um, five of the world's uh, 10 or 15 largest hedge funds. And so um, we have, um, you know, we're not having to build this thing from scratch. So we have a head start and um, we're going to have, a, a, say, a, a pretty robust first release out by the end of the year. Um, that's going to be covering Bitcoin, Ether, um, a number of the ERC20 tokens. Um, we're talking to um, four exchanges at the moment about being launch partners for our first release. And then um, through 2018, it's going to be a matter of just building out to more exchanges and adding more, um, adding more tokens to the platform. So by the end of 2018, we'd hope to have pretty much complete coverage of um, fiat currencies and the um, uh, all of the, the, the major most liquid tokens, as well as um, having exchange coverage globally. And um, we aim to be on at least sort of 25 exchanges by the end of 2018. And then wow. 2019 and onwards, 
is where things get interesting because there's no argument that there's a certain amount of um, centralization in our design, even though I'm saying it's a decentralized execution platform. Well, it's decentralized because the money stays decentralized on the blockchain. But as long as the actual trading is taking place on central exchanges, we need to have a centralized component in order to interact with that. But there have been um, some interesting developments in the decentralized exchange world with uh, 0x and Swap um, both uh, announcing. And um, I think, you know, by the end of this year, we'll have both completed token launches and and be close to... um, close to releasing their exchanges. And if we see um, if we see liquidity moving on to decentralized exchanges, um, that gives us an opportunity to um, open up our platform and, and essentially meet liquidity where it is and, and become more decentralized ourselves. Um, we're also um, obviously a key component of uh, the service that we offer is trading algos. And um, you know, we're going to have trading algos, uh, again, mostly inherited from um, large-scale um, FX trading, um, which are going to uh, ensure that the, the trades get onto the exchanges in the most cost-efficient way possible. Um, we want to um, decentralize even the process of generating those algos and kind of open that up to um, more of a competition. And so you can see a long-term vision where essentially um, we're connected to decentralized blockchains on the one end, decentralized exchanges on the other end, and then we have a decentralized investment committee that is um, constantly improving the intelligence with which we're trading, all paid for by the token, and really pretty much dissolve away the, the, the central entity. Um, so that, that's kind of the, the more long-term vision. Well, very good. Great plans. Um, What's the best way for interested parties to uh, start interacting with you, maybe participate in the beta, you know, start working with your platform? I mean, the the first place to go, if you go to our website, omega.one, O-M-E-G-A dot O-N-E. If you go to omega.one, you can download the white paper. Um, There are links on the website to join our Slack, Um, jump on our Slack, engage with us, give us questions. you know, we're, we're, our designs are, uh, you know, any designs only provisional until it gets made better. So we're, we're very open to feedback from the community on everything that we're doing. Um, and, um, you know, if you and join our mailing list also on the website, and then you'd be kept informed about the token launch and about the beta and about everything else that's coming down the pipe. Okay. Well, very good. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. And, uh, well, absolutely. You know, thank stuff thank you, guys you are so doing. much. Awesome. Um, stay in touch, and um, maybe we'll come on and um, do an update in a few months. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.